We're back to the game on News Radio KMAN. Mitch Fortner with Troy Coverdale, David G, and Big Steve is across the glass. I believe that's actually the first time in the show today I've been able to announce you guys by name. Nice. Excuse me for that. What? Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna come up in the meeting afterwards. <laughs> if you missed in the first hour of the show, Zach Grinky is returning to the Royals. The Troy prodigal son arrives. So Troy is so happy yeah. he predicted the future by wearing a Royals jersey to work. <laughs> yeah, but it's odd that it's a Hippolito Pachardo jersey. What is that about? Oh, wow. <laughs> what a pull. Yeah. Where did you pull that one from? I mean, it's not number six. Know? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Pajardo didn't wear 16. Oh, okay. Dang it. I'm sorry. So, oh. Have you ever shared your story here on the game uh, when you were at the World Series, DG? No. That one. I uh, mean, I feel like we kind of have to hear it. Because <laughs> you made me. It, it, it popped in my head when you brought that up. Do you want to share it? I, we will someday. I will someday. Yeah, I will. I promise. It's a. It's what, a good what's, why are you holding back? There's just there's some there's some parties that? involved. I just just change the name. I know. I know. I know. I, <laughs> let me just, let me let me marinate on that. He's got to rehearse it first. All right? I do. I, it's it's a good one. It's a great story, but. Uh, for another time. The time I met Hippolito Pachardo, though, is one hell of a story. <laughs> Did you really meet him? Yeah, at Seco Park. We played catch together, and uh, he goes, kid, you got an arm. I go, yeah, I know. And then um, two weeks later, I was in a car crash, and uh, my shoulder popped out of place, and I've never been the same. Oh, I thought you were about to tell us about how you became a pitcher in the MLB and you were throwing heaters until... Uh, I never met Hippolito Pachardo. I'm sorry. I made that whole thing Your up. Your mom told you to float it in there yeah, and you won she, the game. I, said, at, at least make it a believable league that you went to the Mexican League, say, for example... <laughs> Or yeah. the Pecos League. Listen, I was in the uh, uh, I was in the Swedish League. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm the Swedish League Hippolito Pajardo, actually. That's how good I was back then. Well, I remember uh, seeing Bill Snyder in Seco Park one time. His grandson was playing baseball, and I didn't have a pair to go meet him. Oh man! My sister went up there and had to get. A, I, I was too nervous. Oh, I was like eight years old. Couldn't go up there and say, "Hey, Coach Snyder, can I like tug on his coat jacket?" Sure, because he was wearing a suit. Uh, he was wearing a suit out there. Yep. And it was like summertime. Dude, that's a pretty bright star to go up to as an eight-year-old. I mean, Bill Snyder? Well, we're also talking eight years old. Sure. That's yeah. 1998. Oh! Yeah. So, oh. you know, the cats are obviously white hot. Ooh. Of course, that's coming off the 97 season. We're going into 98. Oh, he'd have been like, get away from like, me. Like, I didn't even know what was coming up yet, and he did. Oh, God. He'd go, he'd, get away from me, kid. I have football to think about. I don't have time for your autograph. Crap. You know, and the problem, I'm can just you imagine busy. that? That would be awful. Turning down a kid. Again. <laughs> I remember, like, but my sister didn't have anything. Like, he was scrambling to find paper. Oh. He had the pin, but he was trying to find paper. He was like patting himself down. And he's like, I don't know where to deal he's with like, my pad of paper. Give me one of those bases. Pull that base out of the. <laughs> hey, um, rip a piece of that lineup off the uh, scorecard. Let yes, me come borrow that. Yes, sir. I did hear. Um, a buddy of mine played uh, against Bob Gibson's kid in a tournament at KC, and a bunch of people were coming up to Bob Gibson, like, obviously, may I have your autograph? And he's like, get the hell away from me. <laughs> he was just as mean as he was on the, <laughs> the bump in real life. He was like, get away from me. I hate you. Well, I, so one I was really uh, – so there was actually two celebrities I was really hoping to run into mm. when I was on the road with soccer. One of them, The Undertaker, 
because he lived at the time, it still does, in Austin, Texas. Ooh. And he had, I guess, a niece or something that played for the Texas soccer team. Oh. There's also like, who, gosh dang, I can't remember off the top of my head who it was. Uh, former Cowboys running back. Help me out. Not Emmett Smith, of course. Troy Hambrick. Uh, no, another big name, though. Herschel Walker? Tony Dorsett. Tony Dorsett. His daughter played for that soccer team. He came to Manhattan okay. a couple of times. Right. Really? Yeah. Tony Dorsett? That's cool. He did. He came to Manhattan a couple of times for uh, for a couple of games. I do remember that. Um, but The Undertaker never did come to a game. There were a couple of times he could have. Never saw him there. The other one with, was Garth Brooks at Oklahoma State. Who mm-hmm. had a, rel- a relative playing for the team at the time? Really, and he never came to a game either. Oh, come on, Garth! But he's—he was the one I knew for sure. I was like, he's got to be there. He's really cool about going to places like that and just being with the people. Uh-huh. He doesn't need a suite, even though I think he does have one for Oklahoma State football games, which of course you would need to for that. Right. But yeah. nobody goes to these soccer games. Like, hopefully they would show up, and they just never did. Yeah. Oh, that stinks, dude. What if they showed up at the same game? Undertaker, GB, and Tony Dorsett. The first person, honestly, who I'd go up to is, of course, the Undertaker. Taker, yeah, every time. Yeah, yeah. He was. He'd be the one that I'd be pretty nervous to go walk up to. Go. That goes back a long ways. Uh, 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 Come here, kid. I I saw the streak end. (laughs) Why you gotta bring that up, kid? Yeah, do your bad day. Let me tombstone pile. And then choke slams me through the bleachers. You know. I remember as a kid when that guy first came on the scene and they would somebody body slam him with their best move and they'd go they'd turn to the crowd and go, Yeah, look at me. And then he would sit up like a psycho. Oh my God. I was like, turn this off. I'm terrified. It was awful. Troy? Mm-hmm. What do you got? <laughs> Who's the I, meanest celebrity you've ever met in your life? <clears throat> meanest celebrity. Yeah, and that you could celebrity could be, be sports or just a you know like a actor anybody you've run into but you've met a lot of big time sports people you I, I have so I the odd part about that is I don't have one who has been nasty or mean everybody's been pretty cool yeah I really have actually been blessed in that aspect in that I have have been able to meet a lot of great people in this business uh, and not once have I felt like the one was nasty I thought you were gonna say Bill Rafferty no. That is one I have not met yet. Oh, dang it. Vern Lindquist was a real jerk. The no, time. Vern is actually one of the biggest hearted guys that you yeah. will ever meet. No, he is tremendous. Anybody that's in Happy Gilmore, you know, is cool. Also that. Well, yes. Bill Rafferty, he'd be the one that'd be like, he's really good at getting out of conversations really quickly. You know what I mean? He'd yes. Be, the fan would come up, oh, hey, Bill, how are you doing? He's like, how you doing? <laughs> Gotta go. The kiss. Gotta go. Gotta go. The one story that I could pass along, though, was that for all of our love of John Madden, he did have a. He he had his uh, he had his security entourage. So think of old stadiums, press box access to a bathroom. It comes halftime of a game. Pretty much everybody is taking the break. Here comes the security and clears everybody out of the bathroom. Out of the bathroom. So that Madden could have it. Oh, man. 
you're like, I'm, I'm probably should be happy because you're probably going to clear it out on your own anyway. Well, there's that matter too, but. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. So Madden's the closest you have to like kind of a jerky move. Yeah. Yeah. That, but you know, that's also, you know, let's face it. He at the time was the preeminent guy on TV, but a lot of good it did for, you know. <laughs> for the other folks that needed yeah. a break too, I'm gonna pee my pants. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I think I'm, if I remember correctly, I did see Kurt Herbstreit one time with an entourage. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Like, and he left a game. It was the K State Oklahoma State 2012 game, and he left. And I think he was with a bunch of guys. Like, but he was like in the middle of them. Like, yeah, there wasn't like anybody out there waiting to meet him or anything. You know, there was no paparazzi. There wasn't a, a mob of fans wanting to get a piece of Kurt Herbstreit. Hey, I got to get out of here. I, I think as much as anything, it's just, in that case, it's maneuver them along. Yeah. Just in case somebody does try to pull hey, any funny stuff out Kurt, outside of the stadium. Remember me? <laughs> and if it's after the game, there is that possibility, too, yes. <laughs> I, I, I did have a couple of thoughts here as we transition to some K-State men's basketball talk and the coaching vacancy as we are now in day seven of who's going to be the next head coach of K-State men's basketball. The search is on. I'm sure Gene Taylor has been making phone calls, throwing out a couple dollar bills to a few folks that said, hey, you want to be the next coach of the K-State Wildcats? Hey, you want to be the one to help out bring in the next coach? Pony up the money, big dog. So I mentioned earlier in the show that, you know, these last couple of days, really the last four or five days, I've been out of the loop. Yeah. I did some ring announcing on Friday, Saturday and Sunday dealing with baseball. Like, I haven't been up on my phone as much as I should have been. Getting all the inside scoops. I'm not really getting a whole lot of that anyway. But <laughs> Mitch is always good it's for the kinda, hot tea. You know, it's kind of tight-lipped in a way. Yeah. Um, but I, I will start out with this. Um, it is. It was talked about by uh, K-State Online, and I've seen it on message boards about Grant McCasland, uh, the head coach of North Texas, his team right now in the NIT, and I do believe they actually play tonight. Um, it, it, it sounds like he is no longer in the running for the job. It sounds like he, along with K-State, have just kind of parted ways with their discussions. Oh. Uh, I, I don't know which side initiated that or anything, but uh, he was actually he was kind of second on my list. I, I was really ranting and raving when we talked to Charles from Amigo mm-hmm. about just a list of coaches who's on my list, and he was number two on my list. So I'm a little disappointed because I really loved how he had turned a couple of mid, mid-majors around in what felt like a snap of a finger. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's young. He seems like he really – knows how to engage with a younger crowd, especially with pl- like players and people that age. Like He seemed like a really fun coach and somebody that I think K-State fans would really like. It doesn't sound like he's in the running anymore. He's you know, 45 years old. He's a young guy. One of the criticisms I know from the fan base is that they did not like the offensive tempo that his teams played at. And we saw that the get the semifinal or quarterfinal game in their league tournament, Conference USA tournament, they only managed 39 points. Yeah. And and that was a concern, I know, for a lot of folks who were disappointed with K-State's pace of play under Bruce. For sure. Yeah, that was a big letdown. It really, probably also maybe a big part of them maybe not getting to the NCAA tournament potentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Part of that. Cold, you can tell that I obviously have. But uh, 
You're right. Yeah, the, the, the pace of play was a little bit of an issue for me as well. Here it comes again. Mm-hmm. It's one of those deals where... Come on, 40 minutes to the Vicks there, bud. Come on. <laughs> it just It's one of those things where you wonder, is it really, hey, we've parted ways? Or is it, hey, can I part some ways um, for, let me coach my team? In the NIT, and let me make sure that nobody's mad at me for possibly moving on? No, I, because again, as we talked about yesterday, there, there's that plausible deniability sure. that is still out there between the agents and the uh, group that is handling the search for K-State. Yeah, we um, talked about that yesterday. You know, uh, to be able to give that window there means that you can still continue to have that conversation and you can still continue to uh, you know, make sure that all, the, uh, that all of the discussions are still underway without participating full-on with them. Right. Uh, in this case, I think the pickup is generally that uh, McCaslin, I, for one thing, he's got nice resources, but I also think that there's probably another job out there that maybe he's got his eye on ah. that could potentially play a role going forward. That you factor in, and I, I still say that I, I think that there was some probable judgment related to what his offensive style is that, that turned some folks off, and if it's the boosters that got turned off, or a booster or two, right. and right now, um, you know that they're going to have to pony up some dollars. Sure. You know that becomes a tough sell. And they're like, if we are going to pony up, I want to say in what we ordering, yeah, or like Bill Parcells, you want me to, mm-hmm. you want to put the mm-hmm. stew together. I, I'm going to pick out some of these uh, ingredients and. I don't want a guy who's only going to get a team scoring 39 points or whatever it was. Well, and and then so the discussion is more along the lines of, well, if that's the way you lean, I don't know that uh, I'm really going to cut that check. Sure. And, you know, I'm not really behind you on that. Um, and so, you know, you, you, it's, it's pleasantries. You're trying to be polite about it uh, as best you can when you're in that situation. But it is a very tough line for an athletic director to have to walk. Because you are trying to appease a lot, so a lot of so many people. varying areas. Yes. Thank you for taking over for just Absolutely. a moment. Absolutely. <clears throat> Had a big old cough attack Dude, there. You, you are really, you are giving it everything you got. I want everybody to know, it is so difficult in this business to have a little thing in your throat and come out here and do it. It's tough, man. You're doing great, dude. All right, so you guys got all the McCaslin stuff out of the way. Yeah. I appreciate that. It just, it, it, right now, K-State... Gene Taylor, it feels like stalemate right now. Maybe not stalemate, just kind of a at a lull right now, a right? Stall. Because everybody left on that list that I've seen are in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, with the exception of the uh, KT Turner, which I I'm not excited Why? about that at all. Um, but everybody else, like Jerome Tang, goes from third to second now to my list. Of course, Brad Underwood is number one. Right. But Jerome Tang is now second on my list. After that, um, there really isn't a new number three. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm really high on those two. Chris Jans of New Mexico State, Todd Golden of San Francisco. Those two, I'm not crazy high on. Those are two names that have been thrown out there. In the last four or five days, that could be in consideration. That those two would be 
I'm not high on him. I, I, I don't want to call it a disappointment, but I know things would have gone wrong if we're if it feels like we'd be settling. Sure. Todd Golden is really young. He's 36 years old. Mm-hmm. He's five years older than I am. Very little head coaching experience. His, this is 30 years San Francisco, which I, I, I got to admit, like his resume so far is not too bad. Uh, I, I'm just not really high on him. I think San Francisco has made a really nice run lately. But other than that, I haven't been impressed by his head coaching other than these last couple of weeks. Uh, they haven't beaten anybody in the top 25 this year, I'm pretty sure. Uh, they really haven't played a whole lot of teams, but they've done a decent job against BYU. Well, and Golden was an assistant on staff already at San Francisco. That's how he was elevated into that job three years ago. Uh, why can I not think of the name? And then Chris Jans at you know New Mexico State playing in the whack. I mean, that doesn't impress me a whole lot, even though he's done pretty well. For multiple first rounds, multiple 12 seeds. Hasn't been able to pull off that 12-5 upset yet. But I think this is his third time as a 12 seed in the NCAA tournament. But he also comes in with a little bit of baggage if he was hired. And that's because of inappropriately, inappropriately touching women at a bar one night back in 2015. Oh, no. He was at Bowling Green at the time. And his first head coaching gig, uh, after having been on Greg Marshall's staff at Wichita State. And that's where things got sideways that's part of why, though, when New Mexico State came open, it was an opportunity for him to take over a program that has had success. Uh, Marvin Menzies took the UNLV job at that point, um, and so he was looking to continue a program that has had unmitigated success in what is a very lackluster conference. The WAC essentially has been kind of the cast-offs over the last yeah. 15 years. But, I mean, great. You know, Brad Underwood was at Stephen F. Austin. Right. Valid, but they were in the Southland Conference at the time. So they weren't That's part true. of the WAC. Uh, that move is recent because the WAC is trying to reconfigure itself and wants to put another Division One football conference on the field. And the drivers of that happen to be New Mexico State because they're tired of playing independent. Now that's all going to get screwed up anyway because of the Conference USA implosion. But with this lull now, you know, timing becomes very interesting yes. with, you know, who gets knocked out first at the NCAA tournament? Like, as a personal fan of K-State basketball and of K-State athletics, as much as I want Brad Underwood, y- y- you kind of right. hope Brad Underwood and Illinois loses first round so you can get to talking to Brad Underwood, while the secondary coaches that you want after Brad are still playing basketball. They're focused on playing basketball, and if it doesn't work out with Brad, then you go after those others, if you know what I mean. like it, The timing is really weird right now. You're saying that there may have been some phone calls to Jeff Linder at Wyoming today. Well, here's the deal. <laughs> there is no, no doubt in my mind that K-State has already contacted Brad Underwood. I would mm-hmm. imagine there's already a deal on the table, ready to go. I think you're probably right. Maybe they've already started negotiations. Maybe there's been deals already turned out. It, it's speculation. Like, we don't have anything in concrete of what's taking place or where we're at in the timetable of discussions. But Brad Underwood has been asked about it. I'm pretty sure his main focus is on the, is on Chattanooga. Again. But they play Friday. This, this gets into that disconnect where you allow the agents and the search firm to do the work. Well, for sure. The search firm, I'm sure, has really talked to the agents, 
And Brad Underwood wants money. Mm-hmm. He wants money. Like, K-State has to really put it up there to say, hey, we want Brad Underwood to come at K-State. So it's kind of like, do I imagine the uh, the negotiations are like, you know, K-State just low balls him at first. Brad's like, what the hell are you doing to me? I'm not going to take a pay decrease to come to K-State. Be like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Here's right. you, Taylor. He's like, whoa, 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 buddy, calm down, all right? Well, tell us. Tell us what you want here. Do you have a wiretap into the uh, phone calls? Because that's not exactly <laughs> verbatim how I think it's going. Whoa, 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 baby. Back up. I'm not going to take a bake. Yeah. I think it's, for me, with a guy like KT Turner, those names that pop up. The guy that, I can never remember his name, the guy that took over at Loyola Chicago for Porter Mosier as well. Mm. So we have an example of a guy who is an assistant that's just young and up and coming. Right down the road, Mike Boynton at Oklahoma State was never a head coach before he got the job with the Cowboys. What? Why do you think K-State would not go that route and just hire an assistant that's never been a head coach? Well, Jerome Tang. Right. Jerome but, but Tang, like, you're talking about the D1 level. Yeah, and because so, he's like, you know. But Jerome Tang hasn't been a head coach for many, many years. I mean, right. prior to 2003, but it was at a really small school. Right. What I like about Jerome Tang is obviously he's been with Baylor and Scott Drew for so many years that he is, you know, he's been a part of everything that's happened at Baylor. He could take on anything, but also as an assistant coming into a head coaching spot, he's got to build – a coaching staff, right? That is what I feel is the best opportunity to keep around Shane Southwell. Mm-hmm. Shane would have a great opportunity if Jerome Tang comes over, and uh, they they'd be able to coach together like that, that. Again, speculating, it's a possibility, but if if it was Brad Underwood, I don't think it's a great shot that Shane Southwell could still coach here at K State. He would probably find somewhere else to go because Brad is going to want his. His guys. his guys. You also have to remember that, you know, you brought up uh, uh, Loyola Marymount, Drew Valentine. Yeah. You know, there, there's a guy who had spent four years on the staff with Porter Mosier. And in a lot of cases, the athletic directors, especially at a mid-major or small school, will just go ahead and elevate that top assistant when the head coach moves on. Um you know, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It can be a big failure. Yes, right. And and the stakes, albeit, are still high at any school when you're like calling the shots as mm-hmm. the AD. But I think a little bit less than at K State. It's just, you know, it'll be interesting who we decide. Are, are we going to go with someone with some history as a head coach? Are we going to go Jerome Tang and say, hey, put together a, a, a coaching staff and let's rebuild this thing? And no offense to those that. One Frank Martin back. Uh, I saw a little bit of that today. <laughs> Listen, if you don't like Bruce Weber, don't be rooting to bring back Frank Martin. Frank Martin, who also had 10 years at a different school, South Carolina, just like Bruce Weber, was like 55% winning percentage overall, 45 winning percentage in the conference, but only made it to an NCAA tournament one time. Mm-hmm. In those ten seasons, mm-hmm. to Frank Martin, it didn't go so well for him either. No, it, did it didn't. And in fact, uh, a lot worse I, actually, I would say. Well, one of the things the I noted: four. record finished twenty-five games over five hundred, but his SEC record was twenty games under five hundred. You have to work to get that type of a disparity between your overall and your conference records. Yeah. And we talked about 
catching lightning in a bottle the way that they did here at K-State under Frank Martin. You have mm. Brad. You have Delonte Hill. You have all you have um you, you have Matt Figure like you have so many pieces to the puzzle and then to bring back one big piece and expect it to go the way that it went I think is unfair to everybody, you know. All right, the segment got super extended because I had that coughing <laughs> attack and I had some things to say. All right, so let's take a break. When we come back, uh, some predictions on the NCAA tournament next. Was I coherent at all in the last segment? Did I, did I make any sense? I was so thrown off by no. my coughing. I was like, flustered. No, Ugh. nobody. Bad segment. We took some calls uh, off the air and people were like, what in the heck's that guy's problem? And I go, ah, yeah. he's on drugs. Well, I'm smoking. He was smoking. I started smoking. He started smoking cigarettes. Kids, don't smoke. You'll cough too much. Yeah. He's smoking Marlboro Reds. That I mean, yeah. Those are expensive. They, they are. And I remember way, way back in the day going to Chicago, way back in the day, and buying a pack of smokes for eight bucks. And I go, man, this is crazy. They're, they're only four thirty-five back home. Not <laughs> no more, boy. Not no more. Guys, ready to make some uh, predictions here on the NCAA tournament? We're not going to break Don't it all I... down like Big Steve did. Uh, well, he, he, uh, gave it, he, he gave it a prediction on every game. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. And he's picking UCLA, the Bruins, to win like their 24th championship all time. Something like that, right? Mick Troy? Cronin's first ever title. They do look good, though. So I came up with a question for every round in the tournament, and we'll answer them. So for the round of 64, the first question is, how many 12s do you have beating a 5? So that's the big question, right? It always happens every year. But how many times is it going to happen? I went the easy route. And I just said the 1. Because that's the only one I'm really confident in, and that's UAB beating Houston. 1. That is, to me, I am not confident. Troy's not ready to go, by the way. Oh, I'm, I'm just looking over my looking over my bracket to confirm my number. I I think okay sure yeah I well, who cares I think Houston's gonna make a pretty deep run there. Mitch. See, I Houston has let me down before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't do it. I've got one, and it's uh, New Mexico State beating UConn. See, but the thing is, oh, I mentioned it last segment. I'm pretty sure Chris Jans. This is now the fourth time. Mm-hmm. Third or fourth time he's been a 12 seed with New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Hasn't gotten it done. No, and it's a valid point. But I'm not a believer in Dan Hurley yeah, at one player. UConn. I got one. Uh, listen, didn't UConn one time win a title and they were like an 8 seed or a 7 seed? Sure. But that was Jim Calhoun coaching. Uh, it doesn't matter who the coach is. It's, it's about the aura <laughs> and the logo and where you're from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think I have two. Yeah, I have two. I have New, Me- New Mexico State, and I have Indiana. I talked some ju- I talked some junk on them, and I talked about St. Mary's being amazing, and I picked Indiana. So, <laughs> See, this is the amazing thing about filling out brackets. Yeah. We turn around and go back and look and go, why the heck did I do that? What was I thinking? For the round of 32, do you guys have a one seed losing in the round of 32? No. I don't either. I usually want to pull the trigger and pick a one seed to lose. Yeah, usually, and it's usually the same one seed that I'll pick. Well, Begins with a K and ends with an S. Exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, had the same thought. You know, like, they, they get a, you know, if San Diego State moves on, they get a tough draw. That's a tough 
draw. Those guys are good. I don't have a number one losing either, but I also have um, Arizona and possibly Baylor on a little upset watch action. May, not a warning, but a watch. Because uh, North Carolina showing a little bit of, you know, spunk there last half of the season here. So for the Sweet 16, kind of an opposite deal here. How many double-digit seeds do you have in the Sweet 16? I have three. Wow. I have UAB getting to the Sweet 16 because here's the deal. If UAB is able to knock off Houston, they're going to beat Chattanooga and Illinois, right? Which, by the way, I do have Chattanooga winning that first-round game. And then I have Virginia Tech as an 11 seed. They'll get by Texas. I think that's an easy one. And then beat Purdue in an upset. And then I have Loyola Chicago Mm. as a 10 seed out of the South, beating Ohio State and then beating Villanova. Believe it or not, Loyola Chicago, one of the best shooting teams in the country. Mm -hmm. Like, like we're talking three-point shooting and two-point shooting. They're really good offensively. I have gone almost chalk into the 16. I do not have a single double-digit seed making it through to the round of 16. It has been such a weird year already in college basketball. I see a hiccup coming here that's going to put basically a pretty straightforward bracket together, at least at the round of 16 point. I've won, and I don't like it. <laughs> I really don't like it. <laughs> Let's see here. Let me. Is it anybody we've met, any of my three that I had? No, it's New Mexico State. Oh, okay. Um, I really wanted to go with Rutgers. I think Rutgers is going to um, – I think they're going to make a run. I also like your pick. I like Virginia Tech, too. I think they're kind of feisty. And I love Loyola Chicago pick. That's a good pick. Um, I just – Villanova is so good. They know they're good. They know they're good at what they do. And they do that very, very well. And I think they are going to – Smash everybody. I mean, they are good. For the Elite Eight, how many Big 12 teams do you have in the Elite Eight? Three. Wow. Same. Wow. Yep. Baylor, Tech, and KU. Same. I have one. Texas Tech. Yeah. Really? Texas Tech. Um, Baylor, UCLA is a tough draw for the Exactly. That, that's a tough draw. See, and I have St. Mary's beating UCLA. Yeah, I, I mean, either way, that bracket there is is murderer's row. I mean, that that's a good bracket. The East is tough. Like, yeah, to me, you're right. The East is just not a bracket that a one gets through it, unscathed. It's, t- it's tough. It's tough. I'm I went chalk because I'm a bum, but I wanted to go UCLA Purdue in the lead eight, which I think mm-hmm. would be a heck of a game. But I also say, um, with that said. Purdue could lose to Virginia Tech too. I mean mm-hmm. that you know that's a tough that's a tough bracket. For the final four, it's very simple. Who are your final four? Troy, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona, and I hate to say it, begins with a K and ends with an S. Yeah, uh, Zaga, Purdue, Houston, KU, mm. uh-huh. Gonzaga, Arizona, Auburn, UCLA Ooh. is my uh, one out of the because ah. it's going to be somebody that's like not. A tour that you know, like I said earlier, Baylor doesn't get out of there. I don't think Kentucky gets out of there. And then the three seed out of the um, 
out of the East is Purdue. Like I just haven't watched enough of them. I know they have like a they have Andre the Giant on that team. Yeah, they always do. They always have a big guy, but they do the same thing. They kind of don't rise to the occasion. Um, also, like you said, that's a tough that's a tough bracket to get out of. I also having a tough time with Auburn, USC, Miami in there as well. Like that's a weird little like anything could happen in that little grouping. I like it. Well, I think the grouping that's going to just raise absolute hell. Um, let's see. I, I, I should, like. So listen to this: KU, San Diego State, Iowa, Providence, oh, Iowa State, Wisconsin, USC, Auburn. Give me a break, man. That that's tough. Yeah, that's tough. And then finally, who's winning the national championship? I've got Gonzaga because I put it down as the storyline of the night will be Gonzaga versus Arizona. Tommy Lloyd as the as the assistant in Gonzaga for so long, now head coach at Arizona, mm. goes against his mentor. Ooh. Gonzaga. Gonzaga. How yeah. about that? Yeah, it's going to be tough. All right, we'll take a break. Number one song of the day is up next. I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships roll in and Then I'll watch them roll away again I'm just sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Kids, this is what you call an all-time classic. Mm. From 1968, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding, four weeks at number one. He's a singer-songwriter from Macon, Georgia, and is considered one of the greatest singers in American popular music and uh, a trailblazer in soul music, rhythm and blues. And he was, as a matter of fact, nicknamed the King of Soul. Ooh. Inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1989. Ten studio albums, 11 top 40 hits. This is his only number one. And this is from his seventh album, The Dock of the Bay. The album was ranked by Rolling Stone number 161 in the greatest 500 greatest albums of all time. I like it. I got one right. So for those that don't know, Otis Redding, he actually died in a plane crash at the age of 26 mm-hmm. back on December 10th, 1987, a month before this song was released. Whoa. The lyrics you're hearing right now, the recording you're hearing, was three days before he died. Wow, I did not know that. Wow. Makes it a little bit haunting, doesn't it? It does. Like a little yeah. bit? Does it puts a new spin on that one for sure? This was by far his biggest hit, and it was the first ever number one song that was released after the artist passed away or went number one after the uh, artist or band passed away. Now, in a 1990 interview, Steve Cropper he co wrote this song with Otis Redding. And he, he he said, like, Otis was one of those guys that had 100 ideas, 
Anytime he came in to record, he always had 10 or 15 different intros or titles or whatever. But he came up with this one. He was just in San Francisco playing at the Fillmore, and he was staying at a boathouse. He had the choice by staying either at a hotel or a boathouse. He's an outdoorsman. He wanted the boathouse. He just sat there one night and saw all the, the, all the boats coming into the bay and docking for the night. And that's how he came up with the song. Like it. It was that easy. Now, Steve Cropper went in to tell the story about how, when he heard about the plane crash, that the Riker company got a hold of him right away and said, you need to get this song done now. They're planning to put in some backup singers. Never got the opportunity to do that. He had to get in the studio right away, finish producing the song, the single, the album, and get it ready for release because they wanted to get it on the radio right away because... You could probably think about where I'm going right now. Yeah. They wanted to profit off of of them dying in a plane crash. Right. Simple as that. Uh, but it turns out it was a beautiful song, and it was huge. Now, Redding, he actually died five months before uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Well, this song was actually recorded in Memphis, Tennessee. And this was also seen as a trailblazing moment because you didn't see – a black artist working with a white producer. Wow. Or like even like vice versa. It was a white producer working with a white mm-hmm. artist and black producer working with a black uh, artist. Wow. This was another area where Stax was tremendous in breaking ground in terms of racial situations. That's awesome, man. Wow. This won the 1968 Grammy Award for Best Rhythm and Blues Performance plus Best R&B Song for writers Otis, Res- uh, Otis Redding and Steve Cropper. Now, uh, the music licensing company BMI named this as the sixth most performed song of the 20th century, around 6 million performances. A lot, of, a lot of traveling bands, yeah. big, small, a lot loved of, to cover this song. A lot of terrible renditions. <laughs> hey, why don't you leave that one alone? Hate, to, hate to put it that way, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Besides sitting on the top uh, on the dock of the bay, he had two other songs that he wrote that were tremendous hits, though. Respect, which Aretha Franklin, of course, turned into a signature song, and Try a Little Tenderness. Love that song. I love that song. Man, that's a goodie. All right, we have a couple of minutes left. We're going to squeeze in an Ask Us Anything song. Okay. A song. Question. <laughs> okay, for today's... Uh, Ask K-Rocker. We always did this one. Um, What takes five minutes but feels like an eternity? Uh, My mom popped in this weekend to do some grandma stuff with the baby, and we were so happy to have her watching a movie, and a sex scene popped up, and we were like, oh, it was awkward. (laughs) Still to this day, weird. It only took two minutes, but it felt like two hours. It's awful. It's a great answer. I would have to say anything with to do with the internet. Oh, like if something like, especially like when like an update. Oh, like it, your computer needs to update or something. It usually doesn't usually take too long, but it feels like it takes hours. We have been spoiled. Seem, <laughs> seemingly, and this one fits along the same lines. Twitter threads that get lengthy. Oh my god, you're like, dude, you're, uh, come on, post, come on, T-L-D-R. give me the next thing. Let's go, come on. T-L-D-R. Most of the time, a red light. Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Steven? 
For me, it's uh, waiting for the plane to take off the runway. It feels like once you're buckled in and everything, you're just sitting there on the tarmac, and you're like, come on. Phone off. Let's go. What could it be? And they're like, we're making sure we're going to stay up in the air. (laughs) And you're like, I don't care. Another To relate to that, Big Steve, is when the plane is actually, it's always 20 minutes, right? When they put the the seatbelt sign on and said, hey, prepare for landing. Yes. It's always usually 20 minutes before you land, but it feels like so much longer than that. Like, why is it taking so long to land? And you're looking at the window going, come on, I see the ground. Let's go. It's right there. Never make your biggest drop until it's like right before (laughs) you land. Like then it's like your sharpest. Yes. Decline. Yes. All right. Uh, that's going to wrap up for the show. We have a full two hours coming up tomorrow. Big yeah. thank you to Big Steve for uh, showing off his chops and picking some NCAA tournament games. He's got UCLA winning it. The rest of us have Gonzaga for Big Steve. DG Troy, I'm Mitch. We'll talk to you tomorrow.